For years, cybersecurity teams have worked at length to solve one common problem, email attacks. But how do you prevent bad actors from infiltrating an employee's inbox? And how do you prevent that same employee from opening a malicious email that doesn't look or feel suspicious? Eyal Banishti is the CEO of IronScales, a self-learning email security platform that is attempting to answer those simple questions. In messaging security, we're trying to solve a pretty simple question. And the question is, who is sending what? For many years, messaging security was focused on the what, that the domain is not spoofed or the attachment is not containing a malware or the link is not taking me to a phishing or a bad website. The threat landscape has changed. You know, the attacks are more sophisticated. On this episode of IT Visionaries, Al discusses how the IronScales platform uses self-learning technology to help provide a safe email experience for all, and why the pathway to this safer internet is through a decentralized solution. Enjoy this episode. IT Visionaries is created by the team at mission.org and brought to you by the Salesforce Customer 360 platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Build connected experience, empower every employee, and deliver continuous innovation with the customer at the center of everything you do. Learn more at salesforce.com slash platform. This podcast is created by the team at mission.org. Welcome everyone to another episode of IT Visionaries. Today, we have Eyal Benishti. He is the CEO of IronScales. Eyal, welcome to the show. Thank you. Great to be here. All right, I got to ask right out the gate, Something's pretty interesting about the value prop of your business. So you guys say, or IronScale says, it is a self-learning email security platform to stop tomorrow's phishing attacks today. What does that mean? Because I want to dive right in and start talking about how you guys do email security a lot differently than other companies. It's a good question. And, and I think, you know, in order to understand better what is self-learning, you really need to start with why we've decided to create a self-learning uh, kind of solution. So the way we see it or, or, you know, the way things are is that, you know, email threats are morphing at scale, which means there are millions of new email phishings that are being crafted and sent every day. So in order to keep up and, you know, currently, you know, most of the organizations are using secure gateways and email filters and spam filters and stuff like that. And these solutions are mostly signature-based solutions. So in order for them to stop something, they need to, to be in the know. They need to, to know about this, this thing. So in kind of a situation where new things are being created and crafted every day, these solutions are not, no longer effective. And we're kind of you know, breaking our heads. How can, we be, how can we stay ahead of the curve? How can we be in the know regarding what is currently out there and what is even um, not out there but will be out there uh, tomorrow? And the solution was to create something that can learn fast enough in order to, to do so. And in order for something to be, for us or the technology to be able to learn fast, it needs to be self-learning technology, which means the technology is not waiting on us. The platform is not waiting on Ion skills to push updates. It's just, it's just kind of, you know, self-teaching itself about new and current threads in a, in a very autonomous way. So let's talk about this and dive right into the technology behind it. Because you're absolutely right. Whether you're a G Suite customer or let's say an Outlook, Microsoft server customer, the reality is spam phishing attacks still make it through. They still make it through. They're still, I mean, and the people that are pushing them through, they make it look more 
let's say official than ever, right? Whether it's a they're mirroring PayPal, like they're mirroring Square, they're mirroring iTunes. It, it doesn't matter what they're mirroring, and they usually the attackers are very sophisticated. They put it to landing pages that are very clearly marked, and it looks like, for example, I'm sure people get like fished with expense reports. They want you to put your P card verification unless fake landing page. So those filters, like these giant cloud companies, they're still working on it. Are you saying like those tools are more self-reported based, like meaning the users of, let's say, Outlook web server, Windows server, they're self-reporting these spam things, and then the product learns what's spam? How is this different from what the G Suites and the Microsoft Windows server, Meow servers, and other application servers, email servers are doing that makes it unique where iron scales can say, I can actually identify this. It's a great question. I think that if you look at learning technologies today and cybersecurity in general, you will find that you know most of the technologies are what we call today are very centralized, which means they are very kind of bound to what the vendor research power can do out there. So if you have 20 researchers or 40 researchers or 100 researchers, it's specific kinds of, you know, setting the limit on how much research power you have and how much many updates you can push to your uh, platform and, and devices. And like I said earlier, this kind of centralized approach, it doesn't scale because if you have 100 or 300, it's still limited in its capacity. The way Ironscale is approaching this problem is by basically decentralizing the old threat hunting and threat discovery process which means we are, we are not relying only on technology to collect signals and, and match signals. We are relying on, on human beings, on the, the people that are actually using the Ironscale solution to kind of feed us with real-time threats. I think the best equivalent, and I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with the Waze application, where kind of, you know, they're using a crowdsource system in order to, to help people navigate from point A to point B, but with a very important factor, which is what other drivers that were kind of taking the same road one minute or 30 seconds uh, before you have seen or reported uh, on the way? Is there, is there a police officer, a traffic jam, car accident, and whatever? And what they're reporting is really affecting your route and your ETA, basically, and really allowing ways to kind of redirect you to a better route if something changed right now. Because if you just use your car um, navigation system, for example, or some other static or centralized kind of navigation system, you don't know what's happening right now on the road. You don't even know if the road still exists because it's kind of you know, being updated from a centralized uh, repository. With the way system that is very similar to how we approach human security, you know that the roads exist. You even know if there is a new road and you, you actually know in real time what's happening on the road. So we took the same approach and we say, we don't want to sit 20 or 200 people in the back room to research human security. We want to build something that security teams can use on a daily basis, that they will see value from that. And at the same time, we'll feed our platform with valuable real-time human vetted intelligence that we can kind of throw on a, on a machine learning AI kind of based models. And by that, by having this valuable real-time information, basically be able to not just detect, but even predict how phishing looks like. So let's back it up just a little bit here. Waze, the company you're talking about for our younger listeners who don't know what Waze is, Waze is like Ayal is saying, it's an Israeli, it was an Israeli navigation company. It got acquired by Google. 
it is 100%, well, it's not 100% reliant on, but it does take inputs from the drivers actively and passively. So actively meaning if I actively suggest there's a police officer or there's an accident or there's a, a tree falling down the road, it'll say it actively will take that data and update routes based on that. It also passively, meaning without driver input, as AL suggested, if it notices every passenger with Waze has slowed down on a route, it will automatically know that there is now a traffic jam on the road and ergo possibly route you differently. So the unique thing about Waze and why I got integrated, I mean, the technology basically has already been folded into Google Maps. So whether you use Google Maps or Waze, it's the same. <laughs> it's, it's all there. Pretty much. But it requires massive scale. That application requires massive scale or tons of inputs in order for it to actively recognize these problems. So is iron scales, is that what you guys are doing right now? It's like, like the idea is, do you, are you already at a place now where you're getting enough data inputs where you can actively update security in real time? Or are you still in that evolutionary phase where you still need to get more scale so that the, the system becomes sharper, more accurate? So our model is exponential as, as I kind of described earlier. And now we're at the point since we have thousands of kind of companies using our uh, solution that we have more security research power, more email threat kind of hunting power than all of the other email security vendors combined. So if you look at the biggest email security vendor out there, they have like 100 researchers, grosso modo. Even if you look at the mighty kind of Microsoft, they have around a you know, couple of hundreds of, uh, of people doing cybersecurity research in general. We have thousands of people feeding our platform in real time regarding what they think that shouldn't have landed in their employee mailboxes. And this is a super powerful and exponential kind of solution that grows as our customer base is growing. So how fast does it react? So let's say, for example, company A, threat detection is identified. Let's say it's user input based, right? So the system, for whatever reason, didn't catch it. A user gets an email in their inbox. They flag it as spam or phishing. How quickly, as me, a customer in company B, will I benefit from that identification? It's a great question. There are many, many parameters, and it can be as quick as five seconds, and sometimes it can take, you know, five seconds. Five, sometimes yes. it can be five seconds. <laughs> the, the escalation path can, can be really quick. By the way, it doesn't have to be user reported something. Yeah. Um, although we do kind of, you know, train and encourage you know, users not just to delete or avoid phishing, but to report it back to their security team. But sometimes the escalation is a trigger of what we call the mailbox level anomaly. Like you know, one of the things that we're doing is that we're a mailbox level solution. So we sit in the individual mailbox and we're trying to learn and profile what we consider a standard user or business uh, behavior. And we are flagging everything that is not normal, that is deviating from the, the baseline that we've created. And by that, we're giving users better insights or real-time kinds of um, decision-aiding uh, tools to actually go ahead and report something that, uh, that seems off. And from that point on, the, the AI solution will try to kind of you know, investigate and resolve the incident uh, by itself. And if we can't do it, and in most cases, we can't do it, but if we can't do it, we will kind of you know, uh, ping the security analyst and tell him, hey, uh, we need human help. Uh, there is something that is... Um, reported or something that we think that is suspicious, the AI can, cannot solve it. Here is a full kind of investigation report in a very visual and easy to read way regarding what are the findings, the main findings, and then you just need to pass, uh, pass a verdict. Since this whole process and escalation is so quick and the decision 
and and what we kind of leave the security specialists to do at the end of the day is is pass the verdict, so they don't need to do all the heavy lifting of investigating and, and this stuff. Like you know, they get everything kind of ready to make a decision, and they have three button. It's phishing, it's just spam or a nuance, or it's a legit email. We build something that, like I mentioned, that in seconds from the moment that something bad happened, like you know, from the moment that it landed to the mailbox, by the time that an analyst can pass the verdict. It can take very, very few uh, seconds. And again, sometimes it's the AI. Now it really depends, you know, who's the analyst, who is the company, uh, who is the user, and what's we, what we can find inside the email. But in some cases, one incident is enough for us to propagate it kind of and, and start protecting other organization based on what's happening. So let's talk about, let's, let's back up. This is super fascinating. I want to hear how this, this came about, right? It sounds like influenced by ways, but I read the company bio. It says you were incubated inside the world's top venture program for cybersecurity and founded by alumni of the Israel Defense Forces Elite Intelligence Technology Unit. Yeah. This sounds like some top secret military stuff. Tell me, about, <laughs> tell me about the findings of how this company came about. How did you become involved in it? Curious about just you know, where this, the evolution came from. So before starting, I was because I was a security researcher. Um, so I have, I have a very technical background. I was doing mostly malware analysis, kind of reverse engineering malicious kind of software and computer viruses and Trojans, and trying to figure out how they work, what are kind of you know what kind of vulnerabilities they are exploiting, how they stay persistent, how they avoid antivirus and sandbox detection, and that was the point that when I realized that you know most of the malware that email is kind of, you know, the main vehicle to drive bad stuff inside organization. And at that point, I, I was kind of, you know, already at the point that I realized that this cat and mouse game, like, you know, threat actors, they will always create the stuff that can bypass the, the antiviruses and the sandbox. And I thought that it might be a good idea to kind of kill the threat um, in its way, like, you know, kill it in the email before it's even making it to the end point, before the user is even interacting with the bad attachments or the, or the bad link. And this is kind of you know how it's how it's all started. So um, there was this idea of you know putting people in the center and take a more decentralized, people-centric uh, approach to email uh, security. So I quit my job and I uh, started doing what I'm I was doing best back then, which is coding. And at some point, I've I've heard about this uh, A200 EISP, uh, this incubation. Uh, program and I applied to it and I was selected I think there were like about 500 startups and we were like 20 out of them that uh, that made it to the to the program like you mentioned like it's a, it's a group of uh, super smart people uh, most of them were trained in the army it's uh, I think it's the best cyber security school uh, in the world today uh, because these guys are actually doing four or five sometimes even even more than that years in kind of you know actual cyber defense and offense activities. So when these guys are kind of, you know, finding their way back to war and out of the army, they're very savvy, they're very smart, and they have lots of uh, experience. Obviously, they're being cherry-picked from high school as, you know, the best, uh, the best students and, and stuff like that. And this is how it all started, and this is how I joined the program. And, you know, uh, it was a very, very good and interesting program. And by the end of this program, we got our first uh, seed fund. And, the rest is the story. No, that, that's amazing. The, 
the question I have is when you first pitched this idea, did people immediately know what you were talking about or were they like, uh, <laughs> I mean, the, the, the reason why I ask is I, and I'll ask anyone this who claims self-learning machine learning, AI based solutions is. So I look at it from a consumer's perspective more than anything else. Right. Because there's a lot of companies and people out there claiming that they have AI and, and you know, AI, like the names are just thrown around so much. Chinese right? whisper. Yeah. It's a Chinese yeah. 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 Whisper. Yeah. Just ton, ton, people just throwing the names out. Right. And then, I go on like, uh, you know, maybe I'm getting like a customer service chat bot and I, you know, it says like, why don't you type in your question? I type it in. I don't understand what you're saying. It's like, how good can you possibly be? Because you can't understand colloquial English. I don't understand why you would be good at, you know, doing whatever it is you say you, you're great at. So I always wonder when you're pitching these ideas, like, you know, do people believe you right out the gate? Do they want to see proof? Like, how did people react when you said, hey, I have a way for email inboxes to educate itself that phishing is happening. So we started really small, like the first pitch, like, you know, I think that, you know, giving them the full vision was uh, too overwhelming because even when we gave them the first kind of step, which is we need people involved or kind of actors and active defense layer in, in email security, the responses were kind of, you know, people, people thought that it's not a good idea. Because, you know, back then, if you look back seven years ago, when you talk about people in cybersecurity and you talk to the average uh, CISO or security professional, they will tell you one clear thing. They will tell you people are the problem. Yeah. And Iron Scales was out there saying, no, people are the solution. Believe it or not, if you keep relying on technology and technical controls and, you know, smart things to detect malware and, and bad intent, you will always stay behind. If you really want to stay uh, ahead, you really need people in the center of cybersecurity. And it was a novel concept back then, and it wasn't kind of, you know, most people didn't think that people can help it. Again, they thought that people are the problem. You know, some people told me, are you going to teach this, these people how to spot phishing? Like, it's, it's impossible. But we, we proven them wrong uh, quite, uh, quite quickly, and we showed how people can be trained and actually be, kind of used against uh, cyber threats and, and email phishing in specific. So give us an example of just like a simple thing that your, your technology is doing when a phishing email comes into an inbox that's being monitored by iron scales. What is like one simple thing it's trying to, like it does to figure out that, hey, this is a phishing attack and it's not legit. I'm assuming it does the basics like domain matching, some type of domain matching where it's like, hey, it's claiming it's from Apple, but its domain is like, you know, Apple something.com. What are some of the things it's doing to, I mean, obviously you can't give away all your secrets, but so just give me an idea of some of like the, the technology, what it's programmed to do to identify phishing attacks. So just to set the table, like, you know, in messaging security, we're trying to solve or to answer a pretty simple question. Uh, and the question is who is sending what? And for many years, you know, uh, email security uh, solutions and messaging security was focused on the what. Like, let's make sure, like you said, that the domain is not spoofed or the attachment is not containing a malware or the link is not taking me to a phishing or a bad uh, website. But as I mentioned earlier, the, the threat landscape has changed. Like, you know, um, things have changed. Like, you know, the attacks are more sophisticated and, you know, Current threats are mostly, um, or the real threats, or the real kind of fears of organization is mostly around social engineering and BC, and all these kinds of attacks that are really focused on, uh, not necessarily on the what from a content perspective, but on threat actors that are trying to lure 
employees to do stuff that they're not supposed to do. Like they're trying to sabotage the process or to hack the process. Mm-hmm. How can I make you wire money or change a record into DB or buy some gift cards or do whatever, like, and these guys are super creative, do stuff that you're not supposed to do. And by the way, there is no malicious payload in the email that I'm sending you. Right. So with Ion Scales, we kind of shifted. The first thing that we we're doing is we shifted the focus from the what to the who. And in order to protect Albert, for example, we realized that first we need to know you as a person, like, you know, who are you receiving emails from? What makes sense in the context of your specific mailbox? Because what makes sense in your mailbox doesn't make sense in my mailbox and the other way around. So first we, we kind of started by spending time knowing and learning you and creating a baseline or a profile of how you communicate with the, your colleagues and with the, with the outside world. And from that point on, we started, and that was the really first step. We really focused on, on, on answering uh, the who question, which means when someone is sending you an email, we ask a very simple question. Because, you know, email, the email protocol is, is not secure by design. Right. It's a text-based protocol. There is no real authentication, no real authorization. Like everyone can send emails. They can pretend to be Bill Gates and yeah. <laughs> nothing really to stop them out there. So we really, really focused on this specific problem. Can we create, and we call it the, the virtual sender fingerprint, can we kind of reverse engineer the process or reverse engineer your mailbox to the point that we can flag people that are sending emails and are basically pretending to be someone that you know? It can be a person, it can be a service, but from learning your mailbox, we're trying to say, okay, we've seen that Albert is receiving several emails from AL in the past month or so, now we see someone with the same name kind of sending, uh, sending a message, but we've never seen it coming this way. Something is off about the way that the email was, has been crafted, routed, and stuff like that. And by doing that, we really kind of created a shift in the email security industry by focusing on social engineering, impersonation, uh, spoofing, and stuff like that, and not necessarily on the kind of, you know, plain vanilla stuff, which is, is this email contains any malware or bad link. Yeah, I think the the standard thought process or the assumption is that when we talk about cybersecurity, we talk about people trying to figure out, let's say, passwords or insert worms that steal code in lines of text and send it back to a malicious actor. You're saying it's gotten so sophisticated, like people are not trying to hack your system. They want the keys. They're going to trick you to give them the keys to the system. So by the time they're, let's say, done their nefarious act, it's like usually too late. There's no record that this happened, right? So. I'm curious on your side when these phishing attacks. So I'm trying to think of like, what are like the modern, like most dangerous things that you could fish for right now? I feel like fishing for, you know, cloud access, fishing for script access for DevOps is super dangerous, right? So like if you were to somehow, if I were to somehow fish and hack someone's Terraform account or from a HashiCorp, like I could basically collapse someone's cloud infrastructure just like overnight right so so what are some of the threats you're seeing like i'm sure it's cloud-based is it in infrastructure is it still in financials like i guess what kind of attacks are you seeing i think some scary attacks to be honest most of them are around you know financial frauds and you know uh, trying to make someone wire money to the wrong account for example they will try to see who are the vendors that you are working with and when they normally send the invoice and how the invoice looks like, and they will send you a fake one and say, hey, you know what? We've just changed our bank account details. When you pay us, please wire the money to this account and not to that account. 
So that would be like tricking someone in payables to update their vendor record to a new record, thinking that they're paying their vendor, but they're actually just paying a bad actor. Devastating stories around this specific fraud alone. Companies that are going bankrupt, like, you know, people that are losing their, um, their business, like, you know, family businesses, heartbreaking stories, just based on that. They didn't hack to their cloud. They didn't do anything like that. They didn't even steal passwords. They just made them believe that the bank account number of the vendor has changed and they need to wire money to a different account. Same things with, with paychecks and salaries, um, gift cards and stuff like that. So you can see that the attacks today are really, really focused about hacking the process to the human. Like you said, like, you know, I will try and, and detect a broken process in the target company and I will just make, find the person inside the company that is authorized to kind of, you know, click on the keyboard or move the mouse for me and do something he's not supposed to do because I've convinced him, I've socially engineered him to the point that he believed that he's doing the right thing. Wow, that's, that's heavy stuff, man. Like, because you, you, in that case, I'm trying to think of this case, right? You mentioned devastating financial fraud if this happens. So let's walk this audience through this scenario. Your accounts receivable person, accounts payable, does a great job, gets an email, to, convinced by the email to update the vendor record. Let's say it's net, let's say your company's policy is net 60. So 60 days later, the payment goes. The cash is withdrawn and the actor is gone. The vendor, the actual vendor, then calls, let's say seven, seven, eight days, 10 days later. I don't know when they notice. Where's my money? What happened? You start doing the backtracks. Like, well, I paid it. Then it starts like, yeah, you paid who? Like, we paid, it's like, this is the record. I was like, paid to what financial record? I mean, this must happen like every day. Uh, it, it, it takes weeks. Let's say it takes weeks, probably in an enterprise organization to figure out and backtrack to the source of the record. By then, I'm assuming the actor has long disappeared. The ma- it's lost. The money is lost. Yeah, it's gone. It's, it's not there. Yeah. And, and, and there's no trace. If you try to do bounce nothing. back ping traces, there's going to be nothing on that account. And, and these guys are persistent. You know, normally they will have some compromised accounts or not. Like, you know, in your organization, they will sit quietly and learn how you do business. Who are your vendors? When are you paying? Even try and kind of mimic the language that they're using. Like it will look very, very authentic sometimes from, even from a real compromised account. And these are the kinds of challenges that organizations are dealing with today alongside ransomware and, and some other stuff. But if I need to kind of put something in the spotlight, this is our challenge, not finding the malware, not finding the phishing link, like, you know, protecting our clients for exactly against these kind of things. And again, these guys are creative and their methods are changing uh, constantly. And this is why we need a self-learning technology. So that's why it goes back to what you were talking about before, where in any given security path, it's only as secure as the, literally, in your case, the most gullible or even the most, it's not even gullible because you're saying like these, the, the yes, attacks are just so good. Like it, it could trick just about anybody. Anybody. <laughs> it's insane. So this software, this technology, this, this effort came from military defense. Was, so it originally spawned from obviously protecting governments or seeing foreign actors try to hack into government systems. Is that where the crux of it was? Like what was... What was the cause or what was the catalyst that created this, this company? Was it always going to be an enterprise or I'm assuming it was always based on like stopping true threats to national security? So it's national and not national. Like we've seen governments and, and, and countries in, in some cases, including some, you know, huge banks and stuff like that kind of being hit with, uh, with the same thing. 
And by the way, we see little companies like startup companies sometimes being targeted or there was this famous story about the, the VC that was wiring basically his investment to the wrong account, which is, again, was based on the exact same method of just, you know, being there, lurking into the, inside the mailboxes, waiting for the right time and bam, launching the attack, which is, again, a social engineered attack, no malware involved. <laughs> this is insane. So let's, let's fast forward a little bit. You start the company, you get backed, you got through the startup program, starts sounding like you get some proof of work. At that point, had you ever led people yet? Or because uh, I know you had a military background, you worked in IT, like your hands on the keyboard. Had you ever led people? Because how was that transition when you started saying, okay, I need to scale? I've got my hands on the keyboard, but I need team members with me too. Yes. So I led people before, um, led people in uh, kind of previous, previous roles that I had as a, as a team lead and tech lead. And I led, you know, people in, in the army, like soldiers in the army. I was a commanding officer back in the, back in the IDF. And the point that we've decided that we're ready to scale is the, is the moment that we secured about 15 paying customers back in Israel, including, you know, some of the big banks and telco companies and, they were really kind of the validation and the proof that what we are doing is, is right and it's working. So current fast forward to today, I saw your LinkedIn, Atlanta, Georgia. Are you in Atlanta, Georgia right now? I am. All right. Talk about what was that journey like? So you decided, okay, you said your first 15 customers were paying customers in Israel. Yeah. So now you're like, okay, let's bring this product worldwide. So did you right away know that you wanted to bring this to the United States or were you, did you try other countries first? How, I guess, what was your path to the United States? So I, I moved here about two years ago when we had about 80 paying customers uh, back then. And we could, you know, obviously the U.S. market is, uh, is a huge mm-hmm. target market for us. And we realized that, you know, I need to move here and help to build uh, the team and the, the headquarters here, here in Atlanta in order to kind of uh, scale and go uh, faster and, you know, really put, put the technology into test. Israel is a, is a small country. Like, you know, what's, what is being considered enterprise in Israel is, a, is an SME here in the, uh, in the U.S. top. So, you know, really taking the company to, to a different scale and supporting customers with different needs and different scale was yet another challenge that we really wanted to, to chase and, and hit. Here we are two years later with uh, thousands of customers. <laughs> so two years ago, you had 80, 80. Now you're at thousands. About 80, yeah. About. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Now you're at thousands. So, I mean, something in the pitch really worked, right? Something has really resonated. Besides, the, the product obviously works great, but the pitch has to work too. So people give you a try. Did you find it difficult to recruit and build teams being from Israel coming to the United States? Or was it a problem? Was it not a problem? I'm curious what your experience was like, you know, building the business up here. It wasn't a problem. It was uh, relatively easy. Obviously, different cultures and like, you know, um, there is you know, some hurdles to, to overcome, but I can say that it was a pretty easy and smooth and good experience. Was it nerve wracking at all for you? Like when you sat down your first pitch, because you're sitting down, let's say you've cut, now come across the ocean, you're in a different new country. Your very first pitch, or was the customer right away understanding what Iron Scales is about? Like, yeah, I want to try this. I want to do this. So, so it really depends. You know, some people, like, you know, we were at the stage that only the, what, what's been considered the early adopters or the more forward thinking um, security professionals out there. 
So we could really divide it into two, the one that were more conservative and like, you know, we are, we still feel comfortable with the, with the old ways of, uh, of doing, doing things. And some people that were like, you know, immediately they got it and it was like, you could see the light bulb going on and they immediately realized the potential in, you know, uh, doing things differently because, you know, at the end of the day, you talked about the pitch, but before the pitch, before even starting to pitch, I was asking questions and, and the first question it was always like, is phishing still a problem? Is email phishing still a problem? Like you've invested in this, 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 and that. Are you guys still getting phished? And the answer is, was always yes. And when people realize that, you know, that the problem is still there and, you know, you need to think out of the box or that if you keep doing the same stuff, you will get the same results and it's time to kind of, you know, buy different things. Well, the problem is real. We already know that. Like the problem is huge, right? So you have a viable solution to a serious problem. So that's obviously massive scale opportunity. When you think for yourself, what do you think is on the horizon for the next two years? Because like, if, we, if we watch just the news, we constantly hear about people talking about election fraud, voter fraud, and how people are different people trying to hack different systems. And they always, in the news reports, they're never very clear. Like, what does that mean, right? Where do you see the levels of sophistication getting for phishing? I guess that's great. You're a great authority on that. How do you think your product has to continue to evolve to keep up with these people? And what do you see? What's a two-year horizon look like? Are we safe or is it just never ending? You're always going to have to elevate your game because I guess the, the actors will never stop being bad, right? <laughs> never. Yeah. Cyber criminals are making a lot of money and they're not going to stop anytime soon. That's for sure. It's never going to end. Like, you know, as long as they can monetize and make money, they will kind of keep researching and innovating on their hand. And now we're even seeing some evidence for them using, uh, even using AI in order to craft cyber attacks and, uh, and even some email phishing. So, you know, in the, in the, not in the far, far future, it will be AI versus AI uh, to some degree. Like uh, you won't see people kind of, you know, sitting and crafting emails. You can already evidence like, you know, people using phishing as a service and phishing kits and, Everything is kind of, you know, automated and commoditized and things can be downloaded and used and paid in Bitcoins and stuff like that. So, so I really think that, you know, it's not going to end anytime soon or ever, if, if you ask me. The threats are evolving all the time. And this is why it's important to kind of, you know, stay agile, be kind of top on, on the current threats. And make sure that you have a scalable kind of defense solution in place, a solution that can really grow and scale and change as fast as your, uh, as the threat actors, because if not, you stand no chance. So I got to ask a question. This kind of like bleeds into, I think your personal life a little bit, but like, are you, would you say you're generally, are you worried a lot? Because I feel like in your business, you're constantly evolving, thinking about what else bad could happen. Right. Because I mean, not that it's your fault, but the second something, let's say, doesn't get caught or whatever, well, do the customers blame you and they say, hey, oh, hey, man, your tool didn't help me there. So like, like, I feel like your stress levels would be higher than a normal CEO of another company. Maybe I'm just, <laughs> maybe I'm just thinking that. I'd love to think like what you think about like outside of work. Yeah. I've learned to, to embrace the, the struggle, to embrace the challenge, like, you know, to acknowledge the fact that, um, you know, the attackers will always you one step ahead because they have the luxury to kind of, you know, sit back and look at everything that we are doing and kind of, you know, look for their way in. 
if you think about it, like for example, take the, the Microsoft Office 365, like you can go online and for four bucks buy a, a mailbox, for two more bucks you can buy the protection. And then you can sit in the comfort of your home and just try many things until you find something that can, that can go through. So they have an unfair advantage of, you know, basically being kind of out there, uh, being able to, to attack the surface or to, to kind of challenge the, the attack surface and, and see what, uh, what works. Our job is, you know, to make it super hard for them, especially with our customer, to make sure that, you know, they will try, they will fail, and they will just move on to look for an, for an, easier, for an easier target. I love this challenge. I find them challenging and creative. Like, you know, I hate them and love them in the same way because they kind of keep us on our toes, keep us kind of, you know, going back to drawing board and thinking and innovating and really kind of, you know, getting the maximum out of, uh, of us and our creativity and, and, and innovation. Yeah, it's, it is worrying to some degree, like, you know, because we want to do the best for our customers. And it does keeps me up sometimes at night to know that, you know, something bad might happen, but we have a brilliant team with, with a brilliant minds on health and I, I trust them that they will not fail us and really kind of, you know, stay on top of things. And, you know, nothing is 100%, but, but I, I know that uh, they are the, the right, right team for the right task. No, I, I agree 100%, right? Like this idea, I, I like the fact that you get juiced up about trying to stop these threats because... You know, it's one of those things where, you know, I equate cybersecurity when someone explained to me like why, why cybersecurity is like just a different type of service to sell. Because if you're really good at your job, sometimes people take you for granted because they'll say like, oh, maybe I don't need this kind of security, right? Like, <laughs> like I'm paying y'all's, you know, like, I, you know, I'm paying y'all's money, but there's no threats happening, right? And of course, the better you are at your job, the more, I guess, I don't know if the word's complacent, but it can feel like to a customer, like nothing's really happening because you're good at your job, right? Then, then when that guard goes down, of course, that's when, of course, something bad happens. So it can almost be thankless. Do you ever feel like it's a thankless job? Because like, you know, if a company goes and saying, I don't get fished for a year, do I think to myself, oh, well, iron scales, I don't need this. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so, so it might be a future problem, but fortunately enough, we, we, we come at a, at, a, at a position where they are kind of feeling the problem and they're feeling in a not in a non-good way. Right. And when we step in and kind of add on the protection, we're just kind of getting the feedback of things are good now. Like, you know, we used to have this now. Gotcha. At some point, will they take us for granted? Maybe. Um, I hope not. I hope that, you know, what we are doing and the way that we are visualize our value and, you know, and stuff like that are, are really resonating with them. Like, you know, we can show them the numbers and everything. But, you know, um, at the end of the day, will they get used to this level of security? Yes, but will threat actors kind of, you know, let us um, stay put and just, you know, use the same technology in order to protect? Answer is no. So our customers will always get news and exciting stuff from us in order to deal with the latest and greatest because it's going to change. It's changing all the time. There you go. All right. Now, y'all, it's time to ask you some questions about you personally, and it is because it is time for the lightning round. The lightning round is brought to you by Salesforce Customer 360 platform, the number one cloud platform to digital transformation of every experience. Hey, y'all, what is the most addicting app on your phone today? 
Ooh, that's a good question. I think it's the Iron Skills app. <laughs> now you can't you can't plug yourself here. <laughs> no, no, seriously. Like I'm using it in order to resolve incidents. Like I'm getting push notifications when whenever something uh, something is not resolved, so I'm kind of jumping on it uh, immediately. I think the second one will be um, Twitter, kind of following what is what's what is new out there. Like you know, following interesting people and threads and news just to stay on top of, you know, what is the latest and greatest. Okay. As a cybersecurity expert and an avid Twitter user, can you recognize Twitter bots? Oh, it's a great question. Um, <laughs> I think it will require some back and forth. And I guess that, you know, this, yeah, in most cases, the answer is yes. Not immediately, not necessarily immediately, but uh, yeah. Within a couple exchanges, you got it. A couple of exchanges of messages, yeah. <laughs> How about music? Are you a big music fan? I am. What's your what's a band or artist you really like listening to? The Beatles. Beatles? Yeah. Did you know about them when you were a kid, or is this something you discovered later on? As a kid, yeah. There you go. Beatles fan since childhood. What's the best thing to do in Atlanta when you have a day off? That's a tricky question. My man A.L. only works. He doesn't take days off. <laughs> I think that, you know, um, I would say... You know, going to one of the lakes around here, like it's, uh, the nature here is great. Uh, it's green, uh, hiking and traveling and stuff like that. It's, uh, it's the best thing. There you go. Get outside and get in nature and get away from the city. Yeah. So AI, I used to live in Atlanta myself. I went to, cause I went to Emory university. So huh. the hustle and bustle of downtown is a little bit, it's mu- it's a little bit much for someone who doesn't like that. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> that was me personally, but <laughs> What is your best advice for a first-time CEO? Follow your gut, gut feelings. Any particular reason why? There are so many advices and books and, you know, things are being written about, you know, how to be a CEO and how to lead and how to build a product and a company and stuff like that. At the end of the day, like, it can be very confusing. So read it all, have a mentor, have all these kinds of things, but follow your guts. There you go. I agree with you. For every book that says you got to be aggressive, there's going to be one that says you got to be conservative. For every one that says you got to ask a lot of people, there's another one that says just ask a few people. And (laughs) so there is no path. There's no path to success. So you might as well just do the thing that you think. There's no textbook for success. (laughs) What's one question you never get asked that you wished you were asked more often? Are you happy? Are you happy? I am happy. I'm very happy. Very <laughs> awesome. And if you weren't in cybersecurity, what would you be doing? Probably be a medical doctor. Man, you're so smart. You're so smart. I'm, I'm jealous because like when people ask me that, I'd be like, I wish I was a professional surfer because I'd, I'd, I'd rather. <laughs> I like helping people, like, you know, helping people and, you know, being in a position that you can. Now you make me feel bad about myself, man. No. <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I appreciate Maybe I need to be a little bit more selfish, yeah. <laughs> hey, listen, I enjoy. Thank you for joining us on the show. Same here. Thanks for having me. Thank you for sharing so much about Iron Scales and how you guys are using AI to stop phishing attacks. For anyone out there who thinks that they cannot be fished, you are grossly mistaken. All it takes is that one. Unfortunately, yeah. You're the, all it takes is that one. It's, I mean, really, like you said, it's, it's almost like a confidence game. Like It doesn't even have to be a technical hack. It can be a confidence game. Like I can just literally trick you into giving me something that you otherwise would not normally give. Yeah. That's what it's all about. There it is. So if you think you got phishing solved, you never actually have phishing solved. AL says the threat actors continue to evolve their techniques. And I believe you, I don't think that's ever going to stop. Right. If I'm the payables guy, like we said, if I'm, you know, like we'll talk about our sponsor, Salesforce. 
They probably have hundreds of millions of dollars in payables they have to pay every time. So one check for 100, 200 grand doesn't seem like much, but it'll add up. Hey, y'all, thanks for joining us on the show. Thank you. I hope you had a good time. I think our audience is going to enjoy this episode. It was a great fun. Thanks for having me. IT Visionaries is created by the team at mission.org and brought to you by the Salesforce Customer 360 platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Build connected experience, empower every employee, and deliver continuous innovation with the customer at the center of everything you do. Learn more at salesforce.com slash platform.